The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognise that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A Prime Minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. So today we will be speaking to Bob Blackman, the Conservative MP for Harrow East, also the Executive Secretary of the 1922 Committee. And we'll discuss a move to stop money laundering with Baroness Susan Kramer, who'll be joining us on the programme. But first... No apologies. The Prime Minister has so far refused to say sorry for his claim that Keir Starmer failed to prosecute child abuser Jimmy Savile. Boris Johnson is under pressure to withdraw the unfounded comments after the Labour leader was mobbed by a group of demonstrators who accused him of, quote, protecting paedophiles. Johnson called the behaviour directed at Starmer disgraceful and unacceptable. But MPs from across the bench have blamed his use of language for stirring up the protesters, some of whom were carrying signs with anti-vaccination slogans. Still, Government Minister Chris Philp denies that there's a direct link between the mob and the Prime Minister's comments. They also mentioned Julian Assange repeatedly. They mentioned uh, COVID. They mentioned the opposition more generally. And so I don't think you can point uh, to what the Prime Minister said as the cause of that. You certainly can't blame him. Well, Gitto Harry, meanwhile, certainly faced a tough second day in his new job at Number 10 as their communications chief. After all this added to Tory backbench anger, the question is whether Johnson will soon still be singing, I will survive. Well, let's speak to our guest today, Bob Blackman. He is the Conservative MP for Harrow East and Executive Secretary of the all-important 1922 Committee uh, since uh, 2012, a committee which is at the centre of the thing we've been talking about for uh, several weeks now. He's also a former member of the London Assembly with a special interest in levelling up. Bob, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. So the Prime Minister sang, uh, I will survive. Do you think he will? Well, I think what uh, people need to understand is that in terms of where we're at at the moment, uh, we've got a police investigation going on. We'll see what happens as a result of that police investigation. I think uh, um, clearly there are questions to be answered, uh, and I think that that has to be uh, resolved. And people, I think, should wait and see what the police discover in terms of the facts of the matter. Unfortunately, um, a lot of a lot of things have been put in the media. Uh, we have to look at the veracity of that. I mean, I will also say, just um, in, in comment, I utterly condemn the, the actions of the baying mob attacking Sakir Starmer. And I believe David Lammy was there as well. Um, mm. You know, the reality is that politicians need to be able to go about their business without the baying mob uh, causing trouble. And it, this is not the first occasion outside Parliament where colleagues uh, in Parliament, I call, call every MP a colleague, uh, have unfortunately been the subject of, of attacks by the baying mob. Um, this is just the latest one, and we've got to we've got to put a stop to it. No okay. Question whatsoever. 
Bob, how concerned, though, are you then? Some see this as Trump-style politics coming to Britain. I mean, were the Prime Minister's comments on Jimmy Savile the cause? Are they acceptable? Uh, I don't think they're the cause. I, I mean, I think, you know, the, the reality is that we were warned um, last week that um, on, you know, on Monday, uh, yesterday, there would be demonstrations outside uh, Parliament um, due to, I, I was told, anti-vaxxers and... Uh, uh, clearly, that is the predominant issue that was at the centre of all this. Um, I think it was a case of Sakir Starmer probably uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time um, um, and being the subject of this. Um, uh, and I think, you know, one of the things that we, we should be clear on is that no one, no one who's an MP or, or, or official or otherwise should be subject to such attacks. Even if there's no direct link with what the Prime Minister said, don't you think it's important for senior politicians to choose their language carefully? And if we don't want to see Trump-style politics in Britain, then don't don't people, including the Prime Minister, need to be a little bit careful about the accusations they, they throw around? Well, everyone should be careful about accusations they throw around um, on, on all regards. And unfortunately, um, we see, and many of my colleagues, particularly female colleagues, get abuse hurled at them at social media and in their constituencies. Um, this is, uh, unfortunately, um, one of the things that seems to have arisen far more in recent years. Um, mm. Some of us, you know, have been involved in politics. You mentioned, you know, my time on the Assembly and local politics and such like. We've been used to uh, some of these problems. I mean, I, I personally uh, have, have suffered uh, such uh, attacks in the past. And, and the reality is that it's unacceptable. And what we have to do is to, is to ensure that it doesn't happen. Okay, so why has the Prime Minister not issued a fulsome apology, withdrawn his words in Parliament, taken responsibility then, even if it's only in part due to the the comments around Jimmy Savile, which the protesters did use and cite during that protest? Surely it's the Prime Minister's responsibility. As Chris Philp quite rightly pointed out, this was one of the things that they were having a go at. Basically, this mob were out to get anyone um, and particularly, obviously, they, they centred on Sakir Starmer, who was walking mm. um, along, I think, just outside Parliament, uh, and, and they chose to attack him. I mean, that's the, that's the reality. Now, what the Prime Minister says and does is, is obviously the Prime Minister's responsibility. Um, now, he, he he made a statement, I think, at PMQs um, in answer to one of uh, Sakir Starmer's uh, questions. He then qualified that uh, subsequently. And in fact, actually, Jacob Rees-Mogg at Business Questions pointed out and stated uh, the apology that Sakir Starmer had made on behalf of the Crown Prosecution Service for their failure to to actually uh, prosecute Jimmy Savile while he was alive. Now, you know, to be fair, Sakir Starmer took responsibility, even though he was not involved. I mean, but let's be quite clear. He was not involved in decisions about uh, prosecuting or not Jimmy Savile. But he took responsibility for um, the organisation which he led uh, and their failure. So I think the Prime Minister should have qualified that, and he did, uh, and therefore that should draw a line under it. Do, do you think there's any problem with the system of parliamentary privilege that the, the MPs are allowed to say pretty much what they like, stuff that, which, which would be illegal outside the, the chamber, that they can say that with impunity? Do you think that's... Uh, well, we that safeguard, well, we safeguard parliamentary privilege uh, for a very good reason. Uh, because uh, it, it enables MPs to speak freely uh, and make challenges, as you say, uh, whereas otherwise... And one of the things that, uh, that, for example, David Davis was leading a debate on, 
uh, that currently people who are mega rich will use the courts to muzzle people. Uh, and we safeguard parliamentary privilege mm. by being very careful as MPs to, to use parliamentary privilege, privilege appropriately. Uh, but it is a fine line. And what we shouldn't be doing, I mean, it's, it's quite clear, we shouldn't be uh, using uh, parliamentary privilege to mislead people or to say things that we, we know are untrue. Okay. Um, if, if we can challenge people, and that's quite right, we should. All right, let's move on. Uh, well, talking of the mega rich, growing concern about Russian money in property, in business and in political donations to the Conservative Party. Um, Liz Truss pledging to target Russian oligarchs in the event of a Ukraine invasion, oligarchs here in the UK. I was met with some level of incredulity by transparency campaigners. Has the government been too lax on checking Russian money, the potential for money laundering in Britain? Well, clearly, um, there are a large number of very rich Russian oligarchs in the UK. Um, the issue always will be the source of, uh, of their earnings or their wealth, um, and indeed, um, what they're doing with it. And I think you know, there, there are concerns around this. Uh, we've had the Majesty uh, sanctions uh, applied to certain individuals, and it's quite right that we do so. People should not be laundering uh, money through the UK. I mean, it's completely unacceptable. We have this position that the City of London effectively, uh, if not the, the financial centre of the world, is a major financial centre in the world, and therefore we're vulnerable to this. So that, that means that we have to have uh, heavy restrictions and, and, and appropriate regulations to counter this. Now, gas and electricity bills are set to increase by over 50% in April, which is going to be a struggle for millions of people. This morning, BP told us that they've made profits of £9.5 billion in just the last three months. Wouldn't a tax on those windfall profits make sense? Well, I think the most important thing is actually uh, for BP and others uh, to be uh, doing more drilling in the North Sea. Uh, and indeed, we should be looking at um, utilising shale gas um, so that our supply... Uh, it's not dependent on expensive overseas imports. Um, the reality is that obviously BP and, and other oil companies are investing money in uh, both renewables and also in, in new areas, which are more expensive to, uh, to produce the oil okay. and gas that we need. Bob, is there not a fundamental misunderstanding of what oil markets are? Just because we drill it off the North Sea of the UK doesn't mean that we get access to that oil and gas at a cheaper rate. It's a global market. If BP can sell it somewhere else for more money, that's what they're going to do. I mean, that's basically nationalisation, isn't it? Well, the, the, it does need to be nationalisation. I mean, it's all about the supply, um, both in the North Sea and indeed uh, under our feet, literally, as, as shale gas. Um, all those people that are complaining about the, the energy prices need to understand that, that if we limit the supply, if we cut off our supply, uh, then the prices will go up. If we increase supply, then prices will go down. That's, that's the law of economics. And the reality is that's what we should be aiming to do. I think the last measure I saw was that oil was now at $93 a barrel, mm. um, having gone up quite dramatically in the past uh, few months. Uh, what I also would, would take a view of is that the prices of the pumps and such like always go up rapidly when wholesale prices go up, but they seem to come down very slowly when wholesale prices come down. Uh, and that's something that I think the government has to take action on. Just briefly, do you think there's much chance of uh, the government uh, agreeing with you and getting on with uh, drilling for, sh for shale gas? Yes, I, I understand that the uh, Energy Secretary is uh, is encouraging the companies to 
move forward at pace on uh, on this, which I think will increase supply. Uh, and as we increase supply, of course, obviously the world price will will reduce, as you quite rightly say. Um, you know, we are governed by world prices, but at the moment we are importing um, liquefied gas from America. Well, I mean, that's ridiculous. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today and a little sprinkling of economics, too. We're joined by Bloomberg's Leanne Gerrins. Leanne, good to have you on. People watching their spending a little bit more. What's happening? Caroline, they are slightly cooling on their spending as the cost of living climbs. Of course, we've heard this time and time again. UK consumers are are curtailing their spending. This is all according to Barclay Card. The value of card purchases rose 7.4% in January compared with the same month of the year before and the smallest uplift since April. Now, a really similar increase was reported by the British Retail Consortium. And I also want to say Barclay Card said nine in ten adults are concerned about the impact of surging inflation on their household finances. So people are going to have less disposable income mm. in the future because, as we know, we're going to be facing energy price rises, rising inflation, a hike in national insurance. So people might just be thinking, let me readjust here. But on another note, bankers are flowing back into the City of London, almost twice as fast as Wall Street, and that's according to the latest Bloomberg Pret Index, which shows transactions are now 78% of pre-COVID levels in London's financial hub. So we are eating out, apparently. Oh, yes. Now, Leanne, it's uh, at least five years since somebody coined uh, the phrase Brexit, and we've all talked about nothing else since. Now, who's trying to get rid of the word? You actually just stole the very clever intro I thought I'd written <laughs> there, you and The word Brexit is getting the boot. And as you were completely right, I was just thinking, when did Brexit actually become a thing, a word? Mm. 2016, that was when, and you're completely right, five years ago. But yesterday, the British Chamber of Commerce for the EU and Belgium stopped using the word. So what happened is a group CEO, Sue Arndale, says this is a conscious move that reflects the efforts to support its members. She also said most businesses have long since moved on from what we are seeing is companies in the UK, Belgium and the EU that want to continue trading and working together in a friendly way and the pragmatic way that they always have. So she's saying they want to be friendly. So Brexit is an emotive word that creates loads of different feelings. So it's gone. But despite this goodwill gesture Mm -hmm. and claims that we all want to get on well, Caroline, the reality is somewhat tiny but different. The EU and UK remain deadlocked in a tense negotiation over post-Brexit trade rules in Northern Ireland with no signs of progress. How many times have we heard deadlock Brexit? Yep, absolutely. Bloomberg's Leanne Gerrans, thank you so much, bringing us up to speed on some of the other political news this morning.
Right, well, let's talk about dirty money now. The government's been defeated in the House of Lords on an amendment on free ports, which aims to tackle money laundering, including Russian money that could come via the UK's new network of free ports. The measure now goes to the House of Commons. Well, the problem of illicit Russian money sloshing through Britain's economy has been known for years, but it's come into focus with tensions over Ukraine. The Foreign Secretary Liz Truss has pledged to target oligarchs and key Putin supporters in the UK if Russia invades Ukraine. Well, joining us now to discuss is the Liberal Democrat peer, Susan Kramer, who advocated for this amendment in the Lords. Baroness Kramer, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. So, Susan, on the issue of free ports, tell us about this amendment and what difference you think it will make. Well, free ports, I think, as we all know, are very hard to police. Uh, the, The kind of information and data that can typically provide transparency are customs declarations, tax declarations. They don't exist for free ports. So I think even the government, when pressed, would acknowledge that economic crime in the free ports is a real issue and that's something that they're going to have to work very hard to deal with. Uh, But we, in a sense, have ramped up the odds by including what, in effect, are enterprise zones within the free ports. So if you bring in goods, uh, Mm -hmm. it will be effectively, in most cases, with with complete secrecy because there there are no declarations. You can then process them in a tax-advantage way because that's the condition of the enterprise zones we're putting into the free ports. So it is really important there's some mechanism to try and track any potential abuse and misuse including investments or money being moved into into the free ports in order to launder it. Uh, The free ports have said that what they will do is they will keep a register of the beneficial owners of businesses that are operating in the free port. They've been asked to do that by government and that that register will be available for enforcement agencies to look at. But in the UK, we have been lecturing every company, country that will listen around the world and mm. said registers of beneficial ownership aren't enough. They've got to be public because enforcement agencies never have the resources to be able to completely vet registers. Uh, so what we need are civil society groups, activists, journalists, keeping an eye on what exactly is going on. So we have companies house which has to keep a a, a record of the beneficial owners of companies in the UK. We have been promised, but very importantly, it hasn't appeared that there'll be a similar register for property ownership in the UK. Here we have a new register, and what do they do? They don't put in the public piece. It makes absolutely no sense at all, and really means that free ports are going to be very much at risk of being a hub for money laundering. is there a danger here of undoing some of the benefits of Freeport, some of the things which the government hopes will attract more, more investment? Why do you think the government is, is opposed to, to your amendment? Uh, I, frankly, it makes no sense to me. I mean, do you really want to attract in the money from the kleptocrats, the oligarchs and from organised crime? I would suggest not. I don't think that, that's good for the UK. I don't think it's good globally. I, I, I find it just astonishing that the government would not put in place what it has said over and over again, you know, it's said it mm. to our, uh, uh, you know, overseas territories, it's said it to the Crown Dependencies, it's said it to the Europeans, it says it on the global stage. We cannot clean up this world of money laundering and organised crime unless we have public registers. It's an absolute linchpin. 
Okay. I cannot so, explain to you the rationale that sits behind the government's decision to specifically exclude the public part of a register of beneficial ownership. And that's why okay. I put in my amendment. I asked Bob Blackman around this issue, Conservative MP that we just spoke to earlier. He seemed unfazed about the concerns that I raised. I mean, London in the UK has long been a kind of playground for rich Russians. Do you think that the safeguards against money laundering are effective at all in the UK at the moment when it comes specifically to, to Russian money? Well, we have to strengthen them. I mean, the government itself estimates that something like $100 billion in corrupt money comes into the UK every year. And you just have to look at uh, uh, organisations like Trans- Transparency International, which has identified well over a billion of that going into property that's uh, sourced from Russian oligarchs and kleptocrats alone. Uh, uh, um, I, I, nobody... I, look at the Biden administration. I mean, they've been absolutely clear that uh, uh, they are somewhat in despair because sanctions against Putin are in- incredibly undermined if his various friends and uh, compatriots with British citizenship who are located in the UK are in effect able to evade sanctions because of, of all the capacity to use what is now known as the London laundromat. Um, I... I, I we are nowhere near where we need to be. Uh, so we obviously need an economic a, crime bill. That would be an important yeah. piece of legislation. But why would you pass something in, 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 the, in Parliament today that is missing an important power that, uh, that, that uh, the government, whenever it speaks generally on this topic, says is absolutely okay. critical? Yeah, uh, but uh, what about the issue? I mean, the, the issue of, of property, Mayor Sadiq Khan has called just a few days ago for the government to, to get on with this long-awaited, long-planned register of beneficial owners when it comes to property. What about the issue, though, of donations? Are you worried also about Russian cash influencing British politics? At £1.93 million in donations with links to Russia or Putin, according to the Labour Party, that money's gone to Conservatives. Well, I mean, I find all of that troubling. Uh, and it needs to be explained and it needs to be answered. I, 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 I am afraid that, that, that we seem to have somehow got ourselves into the position of taking a very relaxed approach to sleeve. And uh, um, I, I, would like, I think we need to have some very strong, consistent messages. So if, if the Conservative Party has been receiving money from people who are essentially closely tied into the Putin regime and essentially work as its henchmen. I hope very much that money is handed back. Isn't the problem problem that uh, uh, it's very difficult to identify where this money has come from? Russian money has been a huge boon, not just for London property, but for London uh, more generally. If you crack down on dirty money, uh, there's a danger we're also cracking down on money which is legitimate, Russian money that is legitimate. You know, I really think that isn't true. What we're asking for are public registers of beneficial owners. I can't see why that endangers someone who is entirely legitimate, because it it, it doesn't say that uh, a foreign uh, entity can't own property in London. It's not not doing that. It is requiring that uh, um, the light, the sunlight of uh, inspection and uh, the sunlight of, of, of publishing this that uh, openly 
that is always there. And if I was, frankly, a legitimate Russian businessman seeking to do business in London or buy property here, I would love to have a public register because I could then make it very clear that I am not one of these sort of secret people who is bringing in money that, that is sourced from uh, entirely improper uh, 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 activity. Susan? So the good people, this, this kind of a, pub, a public register is something that helps them make sure that they get the respect that they deserve. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.